Georgie? The blackest eyes, the devil's eyes. Come with me if you want to live. Hello and welcome to Direct to Nowhere, the section of the Road to Nowhere podcast in which I invite a guest on to discuss one of their favourite directors and three of those movies. I'm your host, Andy Connor, and today I'm delighted to be joined by Rob Simpson from Directors Uncut. Hi Rob, how are you doing? Fantastic for having me. That makes no sense, but thank you for having me. <laughs> I might do that a few times throughout the podcast because we're recording it on a very, very hot day. Um mm. <laughs> we um up here we're not too bad weather wise, but hey, I've got a big dog who's sitting next to me right now, and he's struggling a wee bit with the heat, but he's fine. I mean, I know people don't usually say this, but that's the one thing I'm jealous of Scotland about. I mean, the weather's always kind of just middling. Yeah, I I mean, we, we'll probably get a week's worth of summer in September, and it'll be really hot. We randomly get it then, and that's about that. Yeah, <laughs> that's it. It's just great. Oh, really hot down here. So before we go on to talking about your director, we've just got a couple yes. of wee things to cover. Um, what is there a moment kind of in movies or cinema that stands out for you from when you were younger? Something that you, like a, um, maybe like an earliest memory sort of thing? I think earliest, I mean, um, when you're a kid, I mean, every parent probably sympathises with this like so much. But when you're a kid, there's always that one movie that you have that you repair over and over and over again. Like I hear stories of... Um, parents now who've seen certain Pixar movies like 20, 30 times because it's all the kid will ever, ever watch. Mine of that was a weird one. Um, I don't know if anybody remembers it really, but it was a Fred Savage movie called uh, Little Monsters. Ever wonder why kids get blamed for everything just because their parents can't explain it? Did, mister. The reason's right under your bed. Hey, bud, the name's Maurice, and I'll catch you later. What goes on down there is every kid's fantasy. It's magic. They can cry. No teachers, no rules, no homework. <laughs> and the best part is, you don't see any parents telling the kids what they can't eat. We're the reason kids get locked in their rooms. <laughs> We're the reason brothers hate their sisters. <laughs> We're also the reason that parents send their kids back to camp. Little monster, Fred Savage, Howie Mandel, they act up when the sun goes down. I've heard that name. Oh no, I'm getting mixed up with Little Rascals. Oh, well, maybe, yeah. <laughs> um, it's had Fred Savage and he's, I mean, I'm vaguely remembering it here, but um, he had a a problem he was scared of the monster under his bed and it turns out he does have a monster under his bed um who's played by a comedian who goes around america around his town just doing pranks on all the people who have been bullying him and causing him grief <laughs> and yeah it's watching a little music video back of it because it, it has like a talking heads wrote nowhere playing over it and i thought oh there we go i'll have a look at that music video and it's much more violent than i remember it it's got um sort of melting headed monsters and mm. just all sorts of weird sort of practical effects. I think honestly, that is kind of a genesis moment for me. 
um, as far as discovering. I like sort of monster movies and horror movies as well as just movies in general. Hi, almost like a kind of gateway, like what's your first thing that you remember that gets you into it sort of thing. Yeah. Um, There's probably stuff before that, but nothing that really stands out other than Little Monsters, which I, I probably burnt out that VHS tape. Aye, I just uh, had to be looking there. I definitely I recognise the poster. Um, but then the the main thing that comes up is that new 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 newer one with um, what's her face uh, that was in us. Yeah, another one you're on about. And then she's completely vanished. Exact same. That was um, okay. The zombie movie. Uh, Aye. She was like ferrying kids around. Uh, I think it's an Australian adorable movie. The other little monsters. Yeah. Absolutely adorable. If you're not seeing that one, I would check mm. it out. But yeah, this is the 19... I don't know when that was. must mean 1980s, uh, yeah. the 80s. Uh, 89. 1989. Mm. Yeah. It's, I mean, I, I can't speak for other generations, but when I was growing up, all of my sort of pop culture was inherited from the generation before. So okay, as a 90s kid, everything I watched was from the 80s. Yeah. Uh, well, I mean, I was 87, I was born, so I'm not far off that kind of gap. It was have been 80s. I mean, uh, I mean, a 90s kid is in it when I grew up in the 90s, so yeah, I'm the, I'm the same sort of age. Yeah. Do you have a, a moment that is kind of your all-time favourite that you go back to, whether it's a movie or oh, even just a kind of... It could even be a scene. Like, I know some people have got things they just re-watch certain parts of movies and don't ever get bored of it. Um, well, there's movies that I've re-watched a lot um, over the years. I remember when I was much younger, I must have watched about uh, Fight Club 15 times. Hmm. I don't know why. I mean, as far as movies that you call a comfort movie, Fight Club it isn't a great one. Hmm. It's not the sort of movie which you watch over and over again. But no. for some reason, there was something in there that I thought, you know what? I'm watching this. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm watching it and watching it and watching it again. Hmm. Um, but as far as moments, I don't know. I mean, um, childhood moments, I'll always remember being scarred by um, Old Dogs Go to Heaven. Okay, hi. A oh, well, since I've seen that, like probably childhood. <laughs> yeah, same, same. Um, all I remember is, as the title suggests, the dog dies and it goes to heaven, and it <laughs> wrecked me. Absolutely mm. wrecked me. I think that's why I've not had a dog since. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it's weird. Those um, those kids' movies, like, there's always kind of darker subtext to them. Like Beethoven, they're trying to get him killed, so they try to kidnap him so they can like take lab experiments on him and there's always this fucking weird stuff in the background of these kids' movies. Yeah. You watched, um, oh, what's it called? Uh, the, the Hunchback of Notre Dame, the Disney one recently. Again, not in years, no. Yeah, not for a while. Yeah. My niece, who's sort of the right age, and watched it and the big bad guy, he sings a song about if I can't own this woman, I will murder her. Oh, like, lovely. Wow, that's, it's a Disney movie, come on. Yeah. That's a bit off. I see. What would that have been? That would have been the mid nineties. Yeah, yeah, it was like a real hot streak that Disney were on in the mid nineties. Yeah, yeah. And I think that's a thing that you've noticed. Like movies from the kind of eighties and then upwards. I think uh, I was listening to a a podcast that was discussing Beetlejuice. Oh yeah. And I think Beetlejuice is a PG, isn't it? It's that sounds right. Yeah. But the, what they get away with in it, there's like suicide references, there's murder, there's there's um, inappropriate, probably sexual conduct. Oh yeah, I mean, it just like, visually as well, the shrunken heads thing. That always, that always freaked me out when I watched it as a kid. <laughs> oh, fifteen apparently. I think that might. I mean, it wasn't at the time. I'm pretty sure that wasn't at the time because I watched that so much as a kid. Uh, I suppose you see that all the time. These movies they get re reevaluated, don't they? And, like. Um, it's interesting. I it's a, a thing that 
they, they put a lot into things that nowadays you would never get away with in a kids' movie. Obviously, the cinema is adapted and is kind of on a totally different scale now to what it was then. But I mean, there's a lot of graphic stuff in movies as for a kids. kid. Like one of the favourites as well. I mean, Roald Dahl. I mean, if mm-hmm. you, that's like a tentpole of British people growing up reading those Roald Dahl books. Yeah, and uh, the witches. That was a childhood favourite as well, even mm. though it had like that grand witch transformation sequence where she just pulls a face off and reveals this sort of weird, horrible beak and turns all children into rats. It's mm-hmm. sugarcoat it. I know. <laughs> that and um, the original Hocus Pocus as well had some of that, but she was just getting a, a sequel to that this year, actually, aren't we? Seen the trailer yeah, for yeah, that that's, the other day. True. Pretty soon, yeah. Yeah, and it's, it's, yeah, I mean, kids can take it, it's fine. <laughs> Kids like gross stuff, Mm. you know. Yeah, I mean, they'll see it and they forget about it straight away. (laughs) We weren't like spoiled by having these weird musical numbers at the end of every single movie. No, no. (laughs) (laughs) Which to do now? DreamWorks, especially. Aye, I've not seen the. Oh, God, what was the last DreamWorks movie I watched? Was is uh, the Minions Rise of Gru DreamWorks? That's a combination. Similar sort of style, isn't it? Musical number at the end. Is there, I think there is. I can I can even tell you in about it. It happened and then it's finished. Um, <laughs> so, and that's, that's the, the best way to be with that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Aye. It wasn't terrible. Wasn't great. Um, so, for your director, you have hmm. chosen Takashi Miki, who yes, I have for me is a bit of a, a kind of a blind spot. So, what has made you go for him? Are you always been a huge fan. Is it just maybe a bit a bit more interesting? Um, he's one of the directors. I mean, I'm bigger fans of other directors, but I think as far as directors that I find the most interesting, I think Takashi Miike is kind of he is the guy. Mm. Um, I think it's purely because he's so fearless. Honestly, um, yeah. at this point, I think he's made about 105 or 107 movies, and he's been active since sort of 96. Just nineteen ninety six. Is that all? Yeah. Really? Yeah. And he's made that many movies? Yeah, um, just looking at sort of 2001, which was the year which basically got him on the radar of me um, mm-hmm. through one of the movies we're talking about later, as well as sort of just the Tatan Asian Extreme label, yeah, um, which is kind of the backbone of why I like a lot of this stuff. But in 2001, um, where is he? I think he did about five or six movies. Just in one year, that's incredible. And one of them's three hours long. Right, aye. So, I mean, that must be... Did the guy ever sleep? <laughs> if he's going through all that. And then, because you would imagine... It seems like, from what I've seen for these movies, it seems like he would take quite a hands-on approach to every part of it. Oh, yeah, he does. Mm. Seven. Um, he did seven in 2001. Seven, Jesus. So, for me, it was... I'd only seen Audition before these ones. Which is great yeah. and disturbing and horrible. Um, it is. I mean, I would have suggested that for this, but I, I really don't want to watch it ever again. Yeah, it's such a strange movie. Like, um, kind of goes. There's this weird sort of melodrama that it's all kind of based around, like almost yeah. Twin Peaks style, and then it just goes oh. off the fucking deep end. And I think I've most people know about audition, but he he's a director who you can literally throw. A stone at and you'd hit something completely different. I mean, he's got superhero movies. Right, okay. uh, he's got a, a manga adaptation where it's called Terraform Mars, where a bunch of scientists go to Mars and they find a series, a species of ants who are just muscly dudes. A species and, of ants? Like mega ants. 
think <laughs> I'll watch him now. It sounds uh, um, a bit interesting. I think he did a Jojo jo Bizarre Adventure movie as well for anime people, and that's like the weirdest thing. I have heard of that uh, guy my work um, is a big... He just does. He's his own podcast, Raptors in the Kitchen, and he's a big into JoJo thing, and it just sounds nuts. Like I've never oh, watched that. Yeah. I don't think I have the patience for it. But no. his superhero movie is called uh, Zebra Man and Zebra Man Two. Mm-hmm. Um, he did a movie called Visitor Q, which he went out of his way to try and break as many taboos in cinema as he possibly could. Right? Is that lots of incest? Now? Lots of incest in that one. Right, okay. Um, I mean, I know you've had uh, Zobo of a shotgun on the, the mm. podcast before, and she's a fan of extreme cinema, and I think that's pretty much where Visitor Q lands, sort of right, okay. extreme cinema. Mm-hmm. I'll, maybe, I'll maybe give that one a bit of a birth then. I think, yeah. I think Zoe maybe mentioned that to me before, that movie, possibly. There's so many that just if I then Google sense. them, it fries my brain. So I can just kind of go back into my shell. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's not the sort of thing where you think, mm, uh, Takeshi Mika, he's done a lot of stuff. Let's start with the most dangerous and challenging thing. Yeah. Uh, that's uh, not where you're I mean, the one of the other ones that got him on the radar as well was Ichi the Killer. Mm, I've heard that I've, again. I've, for some, I've, I've always known about that movie, and I think it's because it had such a, a kind of striking, like, DVD cover that I would have oh, seen it, yeah. and I've never, I've just never picked it up. I've just never seen it, but I've got it now to watch. Like, I've got a version of it. Um, yeah. If you haven't seen the cover, it's got Tadanabo Sano. If you don't know him, he's the Japanese dark guy who was I don't know, was it Hogan in the Far? Is that the name of the character? Hogan and uh, what? Sorry, uh, Far the Far movies. I say it oh. really weird. I know I can't say Far as in <laughs> the camera guy. Four a Thor. <laughs> Yes, ah, yes. Yeah, I think you're saying the four movies. Yeah. Okay, right. So, ah, right. It's him, yeah, but he's yeah. got like sort of like a slit down the side of his mouth and he's smoking mm. and it comes out of the, the halls. Aye. It's a whole thing. I didn't realise that was the same guy. That's quite of a, a jump. I mean, the, the Marvel picked him up on that. He says, well, <laughs> you're really good in this Ichi the Killer, which is fucking mental. Here's a wee kind of backwards Norse mythology Kiddies style cartoon movie. <laughs> like, yeah. um, the thing is, he, he's described as the, uh, the Johnny Depp of Japan, which I don't think is aged as well as they'd like. <laughs> no, he'd maybe give him a new moniker. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so you mentioned the early Tartanesia uh, thing, and that was quite a big thing for me growing up as well, but I kind of leaned oh, yeah. more towards, like, I, th- I think I went more to the ones that got the big press more at the time, um, like your Battle Royale and Dark Water, Ringu. Um, all favourites, yeah. All the, yeah, and that was like a good gateway for getting into uh, Asian oh, yeah. cinema, definitely. I think, I think. I think uh, between that and the, the martial arts label Hong Kong Legends, that is basically what made me a fan of okay Asian cinema. Mm-hmm. But I think Tartan, because that was one of the things going down to HMV when there's a new Tartan DVD coming out. What is it yeah. this time? You discovered some wild, wild stuff. Yeah, there was a place in um, Sucky Hall Street in Glasgow that was just above like a McDonald's. I, I think it made it out as if it was like an independent store, but it was more, I think it possibly was owned by like HMV or Virgin or something like that. It's called MZTD. And you used to go in there and you'd get, get lots of the uh, Tartanesia, um, cheap, before Family Guy was really massive, like Family Guy DVDs for cheap. And it was things like that, like you go in and you pick pick up the Tartanesia ones because they weren't too expensive. It wasn't like they were like um 
limited release or anything. They're quite well mass produced, like so you got a, a good bit of access to them. I don't know what brought them down in the end, but mm. yeah, they were a great label. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean that's it's that specific era as well. It's like the two thousand and two, three, four, and after that, I never really seen them. I don't know. I just assumed it was maybe myself. But did they go? Um, I think they went a little beyond that, but not much. I think. Uh, yeah, I think they went as far as two thousand and eight, just sort of releasing maybe one or two things here or there. Yeah, aye. And now you get things like Second Sight and Arrow Video and everything have kind of taken over yeah. that different yeah. style. Yeah, uh, Third Windows as well, but they're a bit more sort of indie mm. style. But yeah, right, okay. there's, there's loads of labels that have picked it up. It's great to have to be curious about Japanese cinema, I'd say. Mm-hmm. So then we're going off off topic a wee bit, and we'll we'll look at a wee bit more of Miki's work near the end, just a general chat on that. But in terms of other Asian directors that you would say would maybe be kind of a good gateway, is there any other ones that you would... Um, I think it's the big, well, the other big one for me, uh, that label got me into Park Chan-wook as well. Okay, yep. Who, Definitely had him, old boy. Yeah, I think he is sort of the perfect, I hate to say this because it's such a cheap way of explaining it, but his movies have a sort of Tarantino feel to him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, see that. It's sort of very watchable, very violent, but they've got like great ideas at the at the car. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, I think Lady Vengeance is his best movie. That's like uh, a masterpiece, that one. Cool. Um, to get into that sort of world of filmmaking, yeah, Pac Chan-wook could be a great gateway. Nice. I've actually got a guest coming up to discuss his movie, so I'm looking forward to that. I've got the trilogy, Vengeance trilogy, plus one more. Yeah, uh, Lady Vengeance is the, the last one. Right, okay. And Sympathy of Mr. Vengeance, is that the that's, other that's one? That's the first. And right. All Boys, All boys in, in the Middle. Right, okay. And I don't think got... it actually is a, a trilogy. I think they just sort of bundled them together and say that'll do. Right, okay. Right. Uh, it's like a theme's more than actual story. Yeah, there's no run, other running characters. There's uh, yeah. one ca- actor who's recast, but that's about it. So going on to your movies then. We're going to start yes. with, I think probably my favourite of the three, it is Blade of the Immortal from 2018. あれ人間じゃねえ。化け物だ。やつは不死の剣士だ。お前。あふれ。一刀流は父上を殺し。我らの軍門に加わるか滅びるか。父上の敵討ちを手伝ってください。明日とも似ておりは江戸の頂点を極める。敵討ち点だったらこいつらより強くなったら。みたいなことを次やったら用心棒降りるからな。誰切ったらいいが、俺はどうやって決める。私のことを切ろうとする人。ゲゲスタ
Give us a kind of brief synopsis of this. Um, well, this is a very, very, very violent movie. Yeah. Um, this is about a samurai called Manji, played by uh, Takuya Kimura, who is incredibly skilled at what he does, but at the beginning of the movie we're told that he's basically betrayed his master mm-hmm. uh, by killing him, and we just see a little bit of that as he's run off with his sister. His sister seems a little bit broken, like mm-hmm. you've seen something you shouldn't have, and it's just completely collapsed the mind. Yeah. Um. And we are introduced to the first huge battle scene. I think it's it's Manji versus about well everybody, mm-hmm. basically. <laughs> um. And after he's somehow sort of beat them all, he's killed everybody. He's approached by this woman who gives him this blood worm. Mm-hmm. I think is the name they give it that effectively stops any. Well, this stops him from dying, actually. Mm-hmm. Um, he can have limbs chopped off, but they'll sort of grow back together with his arm in a sort of gross body horror. Yeah. Um, and I think it's 50 years later, we are in a, a school, which a martial arts school, which is uh, accosted by a group who are basically collecting martial artists to become like the one-stop shop for everything and to be the yeah. ultimate in, in sword or bladed martial arts. Mm-hmm. Who kill this mother and will kill this uh, young girl's mother and father. Well, I say mother, they kind of take her as a prize. It's implied what they do to him in a very sort of grotesque mm-hmm. yeah. way. Um, so, yeah, she eventually finds her way to Manji and says, help me get revenge. And that's essentially it, really. Yeah. There's a little bit of politics, like with the shogunate and, and this and that, but that's that's the gist, I'd say. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the, the, the group that are going around, they're trying to, to basically bring the is it the dojos under one banner? Yeah, like one right? master and yeah. every they've got every every style of uh, martial arts within that. Yeah, banner. yeah. It's um, you touched the or you, you give a good kind of explanation of the opening scene. It's outstanding. Like yes. the cinematography, the it's done in black and white, so you're not getting the full kind of. Uh, not that you're not getting the full t- feel for the violence, but you certainly are. But it maybe kind of brings you in a wee bit. Um, what's the best word to describe it? it brings you in a kind of brings you in softly into the movie for what's going to come by just having yeah. that kind of black and white filter over it. Do you think this gives a good kind of base for where it's going to be going? Yeah, I mean, it, it does bookend the movie with two amazing fight sequences, but it just keeps you interested by having mm-hmm. it showing you a different side of uh, who Manji is. Because uh, the first one, I think it's the only fight with true, like absolutely true stakes. So, yeah, it's a great way to get you into the movie because when you start, you I mean, um, I know it's based on a manga, but I've not read it. I don't know anything about it. Mm-hmm. An anime as well, I think, isn't it? Yeah, so it's a great way for people like us who've not any experience of that to sort of dive in there. It's yeah. amazing. It's not like a beautifully choreographed. It's quite, uh, I won't say dirty, that's the wrong word. Brutal. Most yeah, it's like brutal and matter of fact, and it's not skillful. It's just blades flying all over the place. Yeah, and yeah. bits coming off everybody. <laughs> it's um, it's interesting because obviously he's able to regenerate, and but he never fully 
they never fully heals almost that he still lost an eye which yeah, I think it's after he uh, he gets like hitting the, the eye across the eye and across mm. the cheek and after that he's given the blood worms so everything that was accrued before that okay right aye so that was interesting aye it's yeah the the blood worm side it's quite it's strange it's almost like um vampiric style sort of infection that he has in it like oh, yeah yeah, it definitely feels along those lines without the kind of aversion to sunlight. But because I think you've seen Bloodworm used quite a few times in maybe more vampire style movies and things like that. Yeah, um, I, don't know. I think I've seen it before. I was going to say Blade, but that doesn't feel right. Maybe Blade Three. Maybe I think it was maybe The Strain. I don't know if you've ever seen The Strain. Ah, yeah, that's what it might be. Yeah, but there's been other, I'm sure you've seen other things like that. But yeah, it's went for that kind of weird sort of body horror infection style thing that he's he's kind of burdened with almost oh, it, it gives the set of the movie a complete creative license to get some extreme violence in there <laughs> definitely aye that is one of the, the it, I think it's just a great movie overall and we'll, we'll kind of talk as we go on about it but I just think the, the kind of over the top violence is certainly something that a lot of Mickey's movies that are, are the, so the ones that we're covering today, he likes mm. kind of leaning into that, doesn't he? Like, yeah, I think there's a line, isn't there? It's pro- yeah, his producers said uh, in one of the movies that we talk about in a bit that on the the, the Blu-ray, the Arab Blu-ray, that his producers think, oh, he's only good for violence, right? Okay. Um, this is around 2001 when he did some very very violent movies, mm. but I think this is a different type of violence because it's it's not mean spirited, it's not no Ross or anything. It's just so. Re- ridiculously over the top that I don't know whether this means I've kind of been broken by movies or not, but it's funny. It's kind of funny. It is. It's very comedic. It's, um, I think we mentioned kind of Tarantino a wee bit earlier on, and it's very Tarantino-esque in Kill Bill, what he does in that. Oh, yeah. Like, you know, blood's not going to come shooting out of someone's arm, so it's heightened. It's He's not using it as his interpretation of what he thinks happens. It's almost in his world. Yeah, it's, it is a reference for you. It's it's uh, made famous that sort of an arm comes off, so it looks like a, a hose has been cut and all the blood goes everywhere. Aye, yeah. It's by a series of uh, about seven very famous um, samurai movies called Lone Wolf and Cub. Okay. Shogun Assassins, the the most famous one. It was like an American remix of three movies and uh, an English dub. Right. Okay. But yeah, that's super violent. Just like that, I'm into that. Like I can, it's like we said, we kind of touched on addition as well. I can deal with things like over the top violence, blood everywhere, yeah. guts, blah blah blah. It's when it gets real. <laughs> it's when yeah. you kind of get the cringe, not the cringe factor, the the kind of uh, oh, oh, oh you bastard factor. <laughs> yeah, it's like uh, what is it? The Evil Dead, the pencil and the ankle. That's a oh yeah shit about that. Or um. Pet Cemetery or the, the TV original with the surgical blade to the Achilles. Oof, yeah. Aye. And it, it kind of makes a ripping noise. Like, the but, bulk, uh, dry bulk. <laughs> there's a scene in this where, um, what's it called? Uh, Hannah, Hannah Suga, Sugisaki, who plays Machi, who's the reinvention and uh, Rin. Mm-hmm. I, get, I forget which one's which, but she plays two characters, both before history and after history. Okay. Uh, has moved on. But she walks into a scene where Manji's fighting another immortal and he's just stabbed every single blade in him that he has. <laughs> There's this guy with what, 10, 15 blades just coming out of his back. And yeah. If you take that seriously, I think, why? It's just very, very silly. 
Aye. That's quite a nice um, segue to come on to what I was going to talk about is the crazy kind of outlandish characters that are in this oh, yeah. movie. That um, when she, he's fighting the other immortal, he's mentioned that, and he's kind of he's almost um, kind of albino skin, doesn't he? The hair, and I don't know if that's just through age or whatever. It's never really explained. You just like here's another immortal, it's and then open ended, totally, yeah, yeah. Um, but the one I thought I could, I could have actually liked to have seen for a wee bit, a bit more throughout the movie. It was kind of uh, dispatched quite early doors. Was the um, Kuroi Sabato? Have I said that right? Ah, uh, yeah, that sounds right. The oh yeah, him. He's. <laughs> I don't know how you describe him to people who have who haven't seen the movie, but he's entirely. When you first see him, he he seems like a decent guy, you know, because uh, effectively this is just a set. Out his his mother is taken for a prize, so his men can effectively rape and gang rape her, mm-hmm. which you never see anything. No, it's just it sounds a little bit at the beginning, but after that, it's that's all you really find out about it. But he says, "Close your ears because this next bit will drive you insane." Mm-hmm. So you think, ah, oh, he's okay. He's okay for a murderous psychopath, but yeah, <laughs> no, no, he's not. Yeah, it, he he then starts sending uh, the young girl love letters, doesn't he? And leaves yeah. them. Not send them, even just like leaving them about. Yeah, uh, he knows where he, she's going to be, so she just leaves them for her to find. Yeah, yeah, it's kind of so. Then that's obviously creepy as fuck. But it's the um, it's when she faces off against him. And it turns out that he's actually collected her mother's head. Yeah, he's got like two things on his shoulder, like two yeah. balls on his shoulder, and it just looks like part of his design. He's yeah. got like a ninja sort of mask over his mouth and a hood on. Mm-hmm. So he cuts an intimidating presence. Mm-hmm. Definitely. And, and he the- can also like, do his arms backwards. like <laughs> Which is... <laughs> like, uh, what was it, that um, James Wan movie? Uh, malignant. <laughs> yeah, it's like malignant, yeah. Yeah. Um yeah, it's it's really unsettling that because the, the heads talk as well. Like yeah. what I liked about this is yeah, they've got these kind of mad characters and there's not a huge amount of backstory or information given about them. They're just that way because yeah. that's how they are. Which is fine. Far too much because yeah. like if this was maybe a Western movie, Western directed, you would then have a movie about his origin. And why he collects heads on his shoulders. He's just a fucking <laughs> disturbing character who... It'd be a movie, that one. <laughs> but you don't need that. You just get the the kind of striking visual of him and then a great fight between him and... I've taken a blank with the main character's name now. Yeah, Manji. Manji. I think I was going to say Machi there, but that's... Really... He's uh, kind of rusty at that point, isn't he? And I think that's yeah. what keeps the fighting interesting because every fight is he's a little less rusty than the fight before. Aye. Uh-huh. And uh, he kind of takes advantage of the fact that he's immortal by not even trying to uh, avoid people. He just no. uses that. He's just constantly on the attack. It's yeah. like he's not bothered about defence or anything like that. He just keeps going. Yeah, and there's a fight with a ninja where he just completely loses. He only wins because he's immortal, basically. <laughs> yeah. Like a proper anime ninja as well he is with all the hair and the mm-hmm. mask and everything. Aye. <laughs> and the, um, when he's fighting the, the f- woman with the... Has she got like she's got the the double double end sort of spear that she throws it as well, and he gets his ass mm. handed to him in that as well. I think he gets both of his. Does he get both of his arms chopped off at that point? I think he does. I think so. Yeah, and absolutely the wrecked. Mm. Yeah, yeah, he gets ripped apart. It shows that he's again, as you're saying, it's all about just he will eventually win because you can't be beaten, but doesn't necessarily make him 
I certainly, from what you see him at the start of the movie and the way he dispatches like hundreds of guys, yeah. and he's clearly a skilled sort of uh, swordsman. But as you're saying, it's been fifty years; he's not done anything. He's still finding his finding his feet as such, and he gets yeah, he gets beaten a lot in this. And oh yeah, what is the um? Is there any again talking about how the fact that this movie doesn't care for giving explanations to anything? Where does he keep all of these swords? <laughs> Which... yeah, he's got like his normal samurai swords, uh, his katanas, to use the proper term, and he's got like these little short knives, and he's got little Aye. weird axe things. He's got all sorts. Aye. He's got like a kimono on. I guess he's got some sort of like I don't know. <laughs> It's a good question. Thing it just you just accept it. I just seen it as some weird sort of supernatural power, but it it's almost like Mortal Kombat esque. Just shoots his hands down, and all these things come out for him. He's kimono. It's, oh, it's a cool visual as well. Mm, aye, that's not matters at the end of the day. Cool visuals for that. Aye, yeah, definitely. Um, I've mentioned Mortal Kombat there, and that, that was genuinely unintentional for segueing onto this. It's almost a video game style to this. It feels like. Like yeah. boss battles leading towards a certain enemy, beating him, then you almost move up a level. Uh, yeah, it's really interesting structure, and it also mm. subverts that a little bit as well because you think, oh, he's going to fight like the big boss of this. Uh, what's, what's the group called? Uh, well, he's called Anatsu, the leader of the group. Because mm-hmm. he, he's quite cool as well. He fights with something I've never seen before, which is this weird axe. Yeah. That hammer Aye, thing. Aye. Um, it's, and that doesn't happen. That fight doesn't happen. It's no. Not really. It's, yeah, it ends up being like a, a standoff with, is it, the, no, it's not the army. Is it some sort of, is it some no. sort of army? Is it like the rest of the? Yeah, it's, it's pretty much like the, the Shogun's army. Uh-huh. He's, there's a betrayal in there and the Shogun's army turn up and there's a little bit of a scuffle at the end, but it's not in a way which you expect. It's, it does subvert itself quite well, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because the two of them kind of almost work together, don't they? Yeah, there's uh, a mutual respect there, yeah. And then it ends with the, um, the young girl killing the leader, basically, as, as, yeah. as revenge. Um, but yeah, it felt very video game style in the way just it was set up. And I liked that. Like, I have a yeah. lot of time for that because it's just um, the plot is what it is. It's very simple. It's very kind of linear. And you're getting great action set pieces throughout the whole movie. It keeps it moving because at the end of the day, we're talking about a movie which is how long is it? I think it's quite a decent it's 140 two minutes to right. hours 20 minutes. Yeah. So it keeps things moving constantly, which is important for a film which is that long, I think. Yeah. Oh, yeah, definitely. Because I mean, you can sometimes get maybe action movies that are that length that get bogged down in backstory and bogged down in lore and things like that. But that's just you go in open minded accepting of what it is and I think you'll have yeah. a great time with it. Yeah, I mean, it, it does, it's this thing in uh, Western action movies where you have to have this scene as like, character development or whatever mm-hmm. and then we have backstory and then we have a fight. Aye. But in this, everything happens in the fight. Mm-hmm. So it can move at a really fast clip. Aye. So we'll learn who he is, we'll learn his backstory, we'll learn everything while he's fighting someone and I think that's just a cool way of telling the story like this. And it's like... um. You'd need to have exposition as well. You have some form yeah. of exposition, but this, yeah, just kind of cracks on with it. Um, so yeah, it's uh, Blade of the Immortal. Because I, I said I loved that; I thought it was great. Um, my favourite of the three, um, which I, I've 
I had a lot of enjoyment out of all three of these movies, but that was definitely the standout one for me. I just thought the action it was superb. Um, probably the straightest of the three as well. So I like the most. It's a it's basically a normal movie, just a super violent one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the next two we're going to come on to are probably lean more towards the comedic side. Or certainly, well, comedic surreal. Once we come on to the last one, <laughs> but, um, yes. so up next is 2019's First Love. ワリとまとまってるよ入ってくるんですけど。シャブパクってトンズラ壊ってた。なぜボクシング<笑><笑><笑> ゲンジナッツがここではモニカって名前になってる。で、その女が薬を持って逃げたってことにしようかと。な、何今度は。モニカ。モニカ。モニカ。モニカ。モニカ。モニカ。モニカ。モニカ。モニカ。モニカ。
when I was mentioning this is kind of leans more into the comedy side, her hallucinations yes. where she's essentially seeing her father just in white bo- white boxers or white wife. He's in tighty whiteies. Tighty whiteies, I just <laughs> kind of dancing about and laughing at her almost in this weird, well, that, surreal, creepy way. That's how it, sort of, uh, how uh, Leo helps her because um, mm. the backstory is very dark because that's kind of me go through and through. His... Her father was basically a bum who got in debt to the Yakuza for gambling debt and sold his daughter in a prostitution to pay for his debt. So she's right. absolutely terrified of her dad and mm-hmm. has these visions of him where he's just leering at her yeah. in his underwear, which on its own is kind of creepy. Yeah. He says, uh, what happens if you listen to music, Leo says? So he has this sort of weird Indian-style Bangra hip-hop and he starts dancing in the subway. Hey. <laughs> And it's a really fun scene, I think. Because mm-hmm. you could say it's really condescending about mental health issues, but I think it's not. It's, it's, it's about finding ways to cope. Yeah. And it's funny with it. Aye. Aye. It's definitely, it, comparing certainly to Blade of the Immortal, which was hyper-violent, but kind of went more serious towards it, without being too yeah. kind of preachy about its violence. It was just how it was. This definitely leans more into kind of weird... Um, yeah, sort of surreal comedy, and yeah, it's, it's, it's almost like um, like happenstance, everything that's that's going on this night to the two of them. It felt very much again. We're going to keep coming back to Tarantino, and I, I don't mean to, but it's um, like he, his true romance. Well, Tony Scott's true romance, but he was obviously he wrote that very similar in sort of themes and tone, like the 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 prostitute who meets a man. Or like kind of lonely guy on a night and ends up kind of being in the middle of drug smuggling and yes. just violence and, and bad things. And plots. Yeah, I mean, just I don't know whether this speaks badly of me again, but it's just everything that goes wrong for Carse is approach to violence. It's just something. Mm-hmm. Um, the way he just offs people. At one point, yeah. he says, oh, how many is that tonight? Because he basically <laughs> runs over somebody's head with a, a car. And it pops their, their head like a like a melon. It's really, really, really disturbing. Yeah. But he does it in a way that ah, but not another one. Aye. Yeah, because he's just like he's not. He's, he knocked the guy over, hasn't he? And he's just yeah. like, oh fuck, right. I bet I could kill him now. Like as part of as if it's like the last part of his job on a Friday that he has to do before handing in a report or something like that. It's just like oh, for fuck's sake, I need to do this. It, it's thing. it's like the truly psychotic character. Um, Cass is trying to take her home and calm her down because you know it's just the thing to do even though he killed her boyfriend Mm -hmm. she takes her home gets her into her house and she thinks ah this is going well I've talked her around Um, and then he knocks her out and he takes her home and tries to put her to bed and a grand comes in says you think I can talk about this too and he's like, ah, oh, shit, no. And he just punches her in the face. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's, she shouldn't laugh at it, but it's just, a, it's just, ah, it's the resignation I, in his eyes. Thinking, it's, uh, the blase nature of it. He's just like, oh, I need to do this now. It's almost yeah, like he doesn't, like, killing is a job. Yeah. Like, killing is part of his job, and he doesn't, just, like, he's not getting paid overtime. It's just <laughs> such a, I mean, I don't know if you know the, the accuser way of speaking. There's, like, a normal yeah. way of speaking, and there's the accuser way of speaking. So, right. yeah. You call everybody a bastard and you roll your eyes and you speak in this really wild and exaggerated uh, way. Whenever he does that, all the other Yakuza laugh at him as well because he thinks it's ridiculous, this guy talking like this. 
<laughs> so is that uh, in terms of what you're saying the yakuza way of speaking? Is that like a a real life thing, or is it? Oh, is yeah, yeah. Thing? It's, is it real it's, thing? Okay. I like puffing the chest out sort of way of speaking. Right. Okay. Um, I don't know how I can explain it properly. Mm-hmm. Um, like accentuating things that don't need it. Oh, yeah. Uh, like, because it's probably something it, it, I don't, I've maybe not picked up on as much as being yeah. a bit less versed in kind of Asian Japanese cinema. Because quite yeah. a lot of their dialogue is presented and, and delivered in quite an aggressive manner a lot of the time. Like, it's just the, oh, yeah, it's the yeah. style, of the language, the way the language is, is to um, kind of an untrained ear is maybe not something you course. pick up on as much. They use the word kurar a lot, which I think means uh, bastards, basically. Right. There's okay. not a call them that. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's lots of rolling of the eyes. They are very, very aggressive, talk faster and louder. Mm-hmm. It, it's not a natural way of speaking. So right. whenever Kase does it, and he, he's a, he's not like a big intimidating guy. He's he's quite small and meek looking. But whenever yeah. he does that, the other Yakuza's like, oh, look at him. It's adorable. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he was a really interesting character, as you said. And obviously it's him and um, Otomo are kind of working together slightly or kind of mutual yeah. job that they're trying to both benefit from. Otomo, is he trying to basically get money? He's like um, a totally like, corrupt cop, isn't he? He's corrupt, just trying to make yeah. some money mm-hmm. um, with this guy who's trying to screw the Yakuza, which always goes so well. Yeah. <laughs> um, so there's kind of two points here. Again, I'm touching on the comedy a wee bit and mixed in with the violence in the car chase scene. Yes. Um, so how do you feel this would kind of translate for a Western audience? Because it's very feels very Eastern with its comedy, like Cassie's been shot but he's also has he yes. been shot through a bag of cocaine which yeah, is he's been, like leading into his system and he's rubbing himself and it's very heightened and his reactions he, and everything he's been shot after the gangs Yakuza realise he's betrayed him um, and the, like you said the cocaine sort of come out of the bag he starts rubbing it on his chest and he's like oh I can't feel the pain now Aye. and it goes to a point of him having I think his arm chopped off at one point and he says I'm immortal I can't feel anything because <laughs> yeah. yeah. he, he's totally off his biscuit and with <laughs> you know uh, cocaine um, but I think it's it's a funny thing um, that sense of, sense of humour because some styles of Japanese sense of humour in particular go around puns it's very pun based mm-hmm. how certain words sound like other words and sort of the play up that okay it doesn't translate at all it makes no sense in english whatsoever mm-hmm. and there's the other side of japanese comedy which i think is it's basically like extreme slapstick i think yeah. that's the best way to describe it um yeah it goes back to that sort of extreme violence extreme violence as comedy mm-hmm. it's it's not mean-spirited it's just very very over the top and it's used for punchlines and gags all the time mm-hmm I think um, again, if you don't have any any inkling towards Japanese cinema and Asian cinema, and if you are watching some of the scenes, you might just think that that's you make like you can imagine a lot of people would be sitting watching that, going, "This is fucking awful!" Like genuinely, and I, yeah, I don't I think it is. Like I really enjoyed this movie, but if you weren't coming at, at an angle of knowing how these sort of comedic tones are approached, then you might think it's not very well done, almost. But it is. Yeah, I mean. Honestly, if you like Quentin Tarantino, I think there's a lot for you to like here. I don't say that as sort of like an easy, easily made comment. It, it bugs the hell out of me, especially around Kill Bill, when people who didn't know Asian cinema thought he invented all of those things, but he yeah, wasn't. Of course, yeah. he, he was paying homage to a lot of stuff. Mm-hmm. 
Um, but I think he is very heavily influenced by uh, sort of Japanese and Eastern comedy because mm-hmm. the way he tells jokes and structures jokes, mm-hmm. they're kind of one and the same, really, right. Japanese cinema and Japanese comedy in right. cinema. And the way he kind of um, wraps his comedy in violence or wraps his violence in comedy mm. is one and the same, really. Exactly. There's very little difference. I think if you do like Quentin Tarantino just generally, and I'm not saying any specific movie. Mm-hmm. I think it does translate for those people. Good. Good stuff, aye. Um, coming on to the finale, really, is probably where it gets its most batshit. Um, yeah. There's, <laughs> there's basically a fucking war zone in a shopping centre. <laughs> yeah. Uh, or a, a, a shop, a, a con- convenience store, like a mega store almost type thing. Connected to like a car park as well, yeah. Aye. Um, this was brilliant. I thought this was just a cracking scene all round, or a cracking um, kind of collation of scenes. Um, it's really well shot. The violence just goes through the roof with, again, talking about the blood sprays and the, yes. the limb, Jack Cassie's limb getting chopped off and uh, decapitations. There's a fight between the two. Like uh, One-Armed Wang, which is actually a reference. One-Armed Wang, yeah. Uh, one-Armed Boxer is uh, Acted out by a character or an actor called Jimmy Wang Yu, so you know it's it's a reference there, right? Okay, aye, um, and that's just again brutal. Is it the is it the character? Is it Cora? His name is uh, no, sorry, Gondo. He fights yes. one armed wine, doesn't he? Yeah, he's um, like the the Yakuza patriarch. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's Julie who's been after Cassie. Yeah, she's she's gone a bit nuts. Yeah. Um, Cassie kill her husband and she just Cassie kills his boyfriend who she's very very attached to and she just the bloodlust never ever 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 leaves her yeah and she goes full nuts just after him completely she's a character all right um I kind of love her as well just how angry she is she she eventually gets her revenge she's the one that kills Cassie I mean I say angry it's a line, isn't it? I mean, it's more madness than anger, I think, isn't it? <laughs> like it's, gonna... it's kind of a fun, it's a fun anger. So it, it's not like a Aye. an anger at the world where you hate the character and you hate them being on screen and you don't want anything to do with them and you want them to go away as soon as possible. You say, when's when she next on screen? Because she just brings anarchy. Mm-hmm. Aye. And this whole last scene is just total anarchy. Everybody's <laughs> fighting everybody. Everybody dies. People are let free. Mm. It's just a free for all, really. Aye. I think does Cassie not reference the fact that he thinks he's immortal before she lops yeah. his head off? <laughs> Says I'm immortal and nothing can hurt me, and then she just cuts his head off. So, okay, that was a great you, scene. You're not immortal. Then no. it turns into uh, anime and the drive off. So the last movie we're coming on to is I, I don't even really know how to explain this one. It's called Happiness of the Katakuris. It's a yeah. horror. Comedy musical. Yeah, I want. Should I ask you for an explanation of this? It'd be a brief thing. I give it a bash. なんでこんな死んだ奴らの後始末ばっかりしなきゃいけねえんだ。後には死ないだ。やるしかない。お父さん、やるなら早くしないと。おい、やる方向かよ。
チャーズ佐川ですここは来てみなきゃわかんないってほらなんこだってこんな気持ちいいじゃないかはい。And he's Queen Elizabeth's nephew, but he's clearly. ハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハ
It's a soap opera. It's it's shot like a soap opera. Everybody acts like they're in a soap opera. Yeah. It feels almost like a telenovela style. Oh, yeah, like oh, yeah totally. It's uh, it's really crappy looking, but I think it's, it's entirely on purpose. Yeah. Yep. And it has everybody acting completely as they would on a soap opera. And then, oh, by the way, this, sum, this sumo guy comes in with his suspiciously young girlfriend and he has a heart attack while having sex with her and dies and smothers her. Oh, that is an episode for your soap opera. Uh, it, is, it is almost done like episodic with the different characters that turn up at the house yeah. and die. Yeah. Um, the first one is a really suspicious guy who so he starts a musical number in his room and then but he gets interrupted by the guy delivering him a beer and then the next thing you see is he's, what you think he stabbed himself in the neck. I mean, of all the ways, it's kind of <laughs> odd. He stabs himself in the neck with a key. Yeah, and it, it breaks into another musical number of them not one knowing of the what iconic, to do the, with the bodies. The, icon, the iconic one where they come in and the room gets all foggy. It's not fog in the room before that. It gets no. all foggy and the lighting changes and they all pull on like drama student poses <laughs> and break into uh, a song. It's it's definitely one of the standout parts. The standout kind of themes of it is just randomly breaking into musical numbers. Like it's so surreal. Like I've never, I don't think I've ever, I've never seen it like this personally. Even like some of its lesser things, like a running gag of the granddad is he's always throwing sticks at birds. <laughs> and he gets it a few times. <laughs> yeah, it opens with the the granddad. It's like a crow, which kind of that's how it leads from the claymation. The crow like drops the weird angel thing on him or shits on him or something, yeah. <laughs> and he shouts bastard. But then the crow shouts bastard back at him, doesn't it? <laughs> Yes. <laughs> like, and he just lobs, lobs a log at it and then that comes back at the end again so they've, all these people are dead the police turn up and it turns out that the latest guest they've got is a, a murderer who's killed his wife in a, a board a, a, a B&B somewhere else I think and he's been on the run so the granddad is, they go into a musical number about who's going to give themselves up Yes, for this, to, for the, the the bodies that they've buried, and the granddad says, "I'll do it." I'm the older guy, and then it turns out that they're not here for this other guest, and so he kind of collapses out of almost relief. But then the bird shoots bastard at him, <laughs> so he just picks up a log and fucking launches it, and he's like, "It's coming, it's coming!" <laughs> Shout, "What the crows are those?" Yeah, it's crows, isn't it? It's just, it's so strange, man, and then. I think, as I say, we won't go into, we won't pick out specific scenes. And I think the best way to even talk about this movie is in just what comes up. Like, yeah, yeah. like no kind of. There's the first point where I really kind of realised how odd it was was the daughter when she first spots Richard Sagawa. And instantly, she's in love. Yeah, she's in love, and she starts busting into song. But it seems like that song is in her head. Oh yeah, it's totally in her head. Because then it turns round and it turns out that she's just kind of writhing on the floor while everyone's <laughs> sitting staring at her, wondering what's going on. And that was a point where I kind of realised because that's not too far in. It's about ten, fifteen minutes in. Oh yeah, this it was is, it a clip. Yeah, this is definitely something that I've n- never seen. Never seen anything like it before. It's so strange. Yeah, it it just doesn't really. I, this in the extras of this, it's basically uh, Mika's attempt to say, "I can do comedy. Watch me do comedy. I'll give you comedy. Watch me. Sure, I'll show you." Right. <laughs> it, this is this is just him 
just getting all of the madness out of the system, I guess. It's um, it's the, the kind of acting in it is almost stunted, very much like um, Twin Peaks Lynch style, or, or yeah. maybe Inland yeah, Empire, those type of movies where it's intentionally off-putting and intentionally almost bad. Like really over the top and broad and mm. weird. Mm-hmm. And it's um, just the, the dynamics of the family as well. It feels like, I mean, this is 2001. The family dynamics of this feel like, I don't know, 1961. Uh, it's, it's very just, patriarchal, very yeah. uh, the wife cooks yeah. and the grandparents there as just the old guy that lives with them. The son's yeah. wayward and he's been in jail. Hmm. And the daughter's the kind of love struck fools maybe harsh word but this is kind of well yeah any, any man who looks at her she falls in love with instantly <laughs> yeah. yeah I guess but it's you will have seen nothing like this before I mean even like, what 21 years since it's released mm. it's weirdness has not got any softer it's still totally out there no no um, the, the claymation thing again we get to and it's the kind of fight between the granddad and Richard and that <laughs> just goes <laughs> off and they're hanging off of the the cliff together and it's there's no real again no real explanation as to why the granddad kind of starts beating up Richard does there? I think it, it it can't just be because he steals a, an a ashtray because <laughs> he hits him first there. doesn't he yeah he hits him in the head first and then the ashtray falls out so it's in the distance maybe yeah, it's, maybe it's that wanted poster but mm. still that's a bit of an overreacting reaction to a wanted poster of course yeah I forgot but there's so much going on in this I totally forgot about the wanted poster that you could have maybe just seen that and went oh fuck <laughs> it's like just shy of two hours but the amount it gets in there mm. and there's um, a scene where the, the dad has decided to make a model a kind of miniature model of the surrounding areas so he can put wee markers where the mm. graves are like it's basically <laughs> a map to murder if you get found out by the police here's the other bodies <laughs> like, oh, and also there's earthquakes Earthquakes happen all the time. There's earthquakes, which obviously leads into the kind of volcanic eruption at the end. Um, and the, the, uh, the, the bodies being pulled out of the earth and having a musical number with the zombies. Michael Jackson, like, thingy-esque, thriller-esque. Oh, oh yeah, it is very thriller. <laughs> yeah, because it's the, the a young family moves in with them and they find the bodies, don't they, as well? Yeah. But nothing really it, comes of that either. Like, there's no. This is why you bury it. In, why you digging that hole? Aye. Garbage. Aye. <laughs> okay, good job. <laughs> it's um, yeah, but they never like that family don't die. Oh, yeah, so and then that'd be really harsh because they've got like a young lad, a young sickly lad. If they killed them, I thought you'd make it, you son of a bitch. You better not. Wouldn't be surprising though, would it? But you don't really even because they obviously they have the zombie scene and then mm. that finishes. You don't see the family leaving or anything, do you? It's just kind of they've just been forgotten about. They're done now. Not here anymore. Yeah. <laughs> um, I think that that song with the zombies. I think it's basically like always look on the bright side of life sort of song as well. It is, yeah. <laughs> Even um, though there's like the dead that you've been responsible in burying right at your feet. Mm-hmm. Always and then, look on the bright side. And there's also like um, some of the songs throughout it are done like Japanese karaoke style. Yeah. Well, like a terrible, terrible backing track and really bad singers and strange audio, uh, strange video put over the top of it and editing like that kind of weird, weird style. It's it's so, it's such a strange movie. It's so hard to talk about without just 
sounding like we are mad. Yeah. I mean, it's not a surprise that this is one of the two movies that put like Mickey on the world stage. This yeah. audition really put him out there. Yeah, yeah, excellent. Well, um, I can see definitely why people are drawn towards it because it is, I mean, it's almost marketed in terms of the posters and everything like the Japanese sound of music. You don't yeah. see it, so it's all bright coloured posters. It doesn't, there's no hint at the kind of the surrealism behind it or the, it's not particularly violent, but the death that's involved in it. It's implied violence is pretty strong. Mm. Yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, it's quite accessible. Aye. But it's, Unforgettable, and it's one of a kind. Mm-hmm. Definitely, yeah. Um, and that, that angel, I'll never not be creeped out by it. I'll be honest. Fuck putting that on top of your Christmas tree, man. <laughs> <laughs> oh no. Um, there's a, a bit as well when is it Masayuki because he puts himself in front of the um, the kind of murderer and he yes. gets grazed by the knife, but he's acting as if he's been stabbed <laughs> and he pretends he's dead or he thinks he's dead, and they he look at him it. and he's just got like oh. a wee nick. <laughs> He gives it the full sort of opera death. He really goes the town on it. Nah, he goes full on, doesn't he? Um, <laughs> and then the kind of last part of it is the prologue where they're singing this happy song about the family and then they just mention, one year later, Grandad died. <laughs> and he looks at the camera and goes, oh. <laughs> and then, he just, and then the, the granddaughter just smiles at him and then he dies. <laughs> And that's it. Don't. You could probably have one of these YouTube videos of you have like, what does the ending of film X mean? What does anything in Happiness of the Katakuri mean? Because it's just, yeah, it's something. Yeah, it's it's it has to be seen to be believed and understood. Even then, you don't understand yeah. it. I mean, it, it's one of the things I like most about finding in movies. I mean, many movies are much the same. You watch one and it's the same as another, but it's like little things tweaked, a little thing to hear is different. Mm. But those movies, those beautiful magic unicorn movies where you think, you watch it and you think, what is that? I've never seen anything like that ever, and nothing like that could ever possibly exist. And this is a remake. It's a remake of a Korean movie, which is like very down to earth, okay. sort of somber. Same setup of a family uh, with a hotel where all our resident, well, all occupants die, but it's just Definitely. a serious movie. And this has uh, remade it into like cocaine cinema. But yeah, finding these movies that are totally unlike anything, I think that's what I love about movies, honestly. Mm. Yeah, 
especially if you you're not open to even like not open, but not um, aware of as much as Asian cinema. Yeah, I think these three movies for me can give a good insight into it. Where it can get weird, it can get batshit, and maybe it can get to a comedy level that you just don't get necessarily. Yeah. But if you kind of maybe have, go through a couple of the movies, get a few watches, like even Battle Royale was really dark humour throughout the whole thing. Oh yeah, incredibly. And, and if you get a feel for it, there's loads of there's probably lots that to be mind that people haven't seen that would maybe be more open to it if they just kind of gave it a shot. I mean. It speaks to me. I mean, this is my first exposure with Takashi Miike. It was uh, released on Tatanasia Extreme. This was my first dip into him, and I totally fell head over heels. So sometimes you can sort of inch by inch your way into liking something, or maybe just throw yourself in head first. I think if you do this, that's definitely throwing yourself into the deep end with this one. <laughs> You've done oh, it. Oh, yeah. I can yeah. see after that, maybe everything else just kind of makes sense a lot easier. <laughs> Yeah, it totally moves the goalposts for you, really. Good stuff. Um, also, on, I'm just on the internet, it's not related, but if you want an equally incomprehensible movie from Asia, Save the Green Planet is one you should check out. Save the Green Planet? Okay, yes. I'm going to write that down because I've never heard of that one. That is a, that is a movie as well, which kind of goes all over the place. So coming on to so now we've talked about the three Mickey movies. Um, is there any how how is he kind of generally accepted or, or viewed in Eastern cinema? Is he one of the big ones? Oh yeah, I mean yeah, just Japanese cinema is kind of a weird one because sixties uh, and seventies it was all golden. Eighties um, till early nineties it effectively died. Japanese cinema. Okay. In the late 90s, Takashi Miike was one of those guys who kind of... There's a few others as well, like Kyoshi Kurosawa and uh, probably a few others that I can't think of off the top of my head. Hideo Nakata, who did Dark Water and Ring. A few of these guys who just put Japanese cinema on their back and basically saved it. Right. So Takashi Miike is hugely, hugely important, and he's revered because I don't think you get to make 100-plus movies if somebody out there doesn't like it. Mm-hmm. and people out there really, really like him and give him these options to do the wildest things. Just he, He's done like an English-language Western called uh, Sayuki Western Django. I think that's got... It's it's all spoken in... What's the term? It's um, English. It's a very, very offensive phrase, English. Yeah, I can understand. It's that. like Japanese English where it's kind of broken English. So it's a broken English uh, Japanese Western. I think that has Quentin Tarantino in a role. I've heard, I think I've heard of that actually. Yeah. Um, one of his. Yeah, he's been in everything. He's done everything. I don't. I don't know how he finds the passion to continue, and I think that's why I love him because even a hundred movie D, he still finds new stories to tell and new mm-hmm. ways to tell them. So, I, so put any other director in the world in his shoes, and I don't think they could do what he does. No. As, as you're saying, like he's such an eclectic filmmaker. He'll go oh. from horror to full-on comedy to mixtures of both and mixtures of action and serious filmmaking. I say serious well, filmmaking, he, that's maybe the wrong word, but like serious he's themes. Done Ultraman. He's done Ultraman movies. Mm-hmm. If you don't know Ultraman, it's basically a guy in a robot costume fighting giant uh, monsters on yeah. a soundstage. So he's, he's done everything. Like Rocket Man, didn't he? Yeah, yeah. Rocket Man. Um, Rocketeer, sorry, not Rocketman. So yeah. it's just all over the map. He's uh, brilliant. 
who where do you think he's at his strongest in terms of not necessarily specific movies, but maybe in his his themes or in his styles? I think the style of movie which is first love, I think that style is his best style, sort of um tongue in cheek, over the top crime movies. Okay. He's done a few horror movies, um, like Audition, like One Missed Carl, mm-hmm. and Audition's great. One Missed Carl, mm-hmm, it's okay, but I think that, that he keeps on coming back to this that style of crime movie. A Lesson yeah. of Evil is another horror movie he did, right? Um, he keeps on coming back to that style of crime movie, and I think it's because he can genuinely have fun with it. Cool. Um, and when he has fun, you've seen what the result is. It's just nuts. It feels like he's he's in. The place where he feels most comfortable and like he's got yeah. it kind of down pat sort of thing. Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, he's done like, st- TV stage plays like Demon Ponds, uh, weird all female troop police investigation movies. He's, he's really done all sorts. Aye. Monster um, movies like The Great Yorkai War. I mean, you could go through all of it. You could hundred. I mean, how many movies has he done? Let's have a look. I can't a letterbox. He's got a hundred and twelve. That's incredible, isn't it, for a, what, a 26-year career? Yeah, yeah, it's it's something. Mm. Um, what would you say, would you say these three are, if you were saying if someone watched Takashi Miki, mm. would you go for these three? If maybe say a, a three that would just give you a general <laughs> feel for them? Yes, but if I was going to say another few, mm-hmm. I think you should watch Audition. Yeah. Um, the Dead or Alive trilogy, especially number two. I think Dead or Alive 2 is great. Dead or okay. Alive 2, Birds, it's called. Um, Itchy the Killer, just to say you've watched it. It's like a, I think that goes a little bit too into the extreme violence, but again, it's another one of those sort of very, very important movies for him. Um, I think that about cover it, really. Mm-hmm. Yeah, those that little few, you'll get a really good idea of who he is and what yeah. sort of thing makes him tick. Aye. I'll definitely check it out. As I said earlier, I've heard of each and I've got a version of it that I'm gonna definitely gonna sit down and watch uh, once I've got some, some time. Um The Dead or Alive trilogy I've heard of, but is that martial arts movie? Oh no, it's totally ga- I mean the first movie, it's a gangster movie. The right. first movie ends with them blowing the world up by shooting nuclear bombs and rocket launchers at each other. Oh, so right. okay, here's the second one with the same characters. See it's it's a uh, Number two is great, though. I really uh, need to watch that again. It's a fun movie. I'll need to give them all. Uh, it sounds as if it's just on the right side of nuts. Yeah, it's like <laughs> 1990s uh, Takashi Miike before he was discovered the first one, and he just goes for it. Fair enough. Aye. I'll definitely give them all again as well. Um, so before we wrap up then, um, where can we find yourself, Rob? Obviously, podcasting about you can find me as the host of the Directors Uncut podcast, where we have a list of hundreds of directors, uh, pick one at random and talk about two of their movies. So you can find that wherever podcasts are found. Um, and on social media, Instagram and Twitter, it's uh, Uncut Robcast. Uh, oh. Robcast. I'm being clever with it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, you've done that. Uh, so, yeah, you can find me on those places. Good stuff. I'll put links in the show notes for all your socials and such. So I always ask the guests who are on to sign us off with a song that's kind of included in a movie or yeah. uh, part of a score or anything. What have you went for to sign us out with? See, I, I was tying with being an utter troll. Yeah, I was <laughs> thinking, should I put one of the songs that Jackie Chan sings over the credits in one of his movies? And I thought, no, better be. <laughs> 
cruel and perverse, honestly. So I went, I kept it Japanese. Um, there's a movie called Fish Story, which I absolutely fell in love with. Um, it's a portmanteau movie about three separate timelines and how one specific punk song ends up saving the world. Okay. And the punk song is wild. I, I couldn't tell you who it's by. It's just the Fish Story song. Okay. And it it's the it saves the world. I mean, what other reason could I want to play? Oh well, I'll, uh, I'm assuming I'll get that to be able to download that. It should be. Oh yeah, it's it's popular. It's popular. So Rob, thanks very much for joining us. Um, and this is Fish Story. <laughs> She